1: Raina Troy hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, rave line, whatever, isn't completely full.
0: Why can't we just win a game? Can
2: I blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there?
1: Scratch. Up against the wall. Can't
2: explain it, what I'm feeling right now, guys. Let's
1: open up that way Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USC is going to do the same thing again year after year. Oh, no! Hello, everybody. Welcome back to of Radio, episode 359, coming to you on Wednesday, February 26th. We're going to talk about the latest in USC football, including Clay Helton finalizing his 2020 staff, the Trojans no longer having an FCS opponent on the schedule, and so much more. As always, you can follow us on Twitter, Reign of Troy, like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, and Spreaker. Our bonus episodes are on Patreon. Our email address is ReignOfTroy at Fansite.com, and our phone number is 213-373-1USC, One USC, Second, Second Woodsburg Show. Show. From the Reign of Troy East Studios in Phoenix, I'm your host, Mike Castillo, John Lyle, with my co-host, Alicia D'Aretola. Hello, everybody. Hello, Alicia. It is a springish day. Spring training is here in good old Arizona. And hey, ASU started spring camp, so this is true. Spring is upon us. I feel yeah. like we have not recorded an episode, you and I, in like three weeks.
2: It's been a while because it's literally been three <laughs> three weeks.
1: Yeah, we we last week's episode, um, we were unable to record a bunch of stuff. I've been sick for the last couple of weeks. Uh, last really two three weeks, I've been sick. I'm still sick. Um, in
2: case people hadn't been able to to notice, yeah, your voice is a little worse for wear. Still,
1: so. I, I know, um. I'm still sick. I was super sick last week. You had a bunch of family stuff going on last week. Uh so we were uh, played a episode from our Patreon, uh our Patreon feed that we really enjoyed from last year. The week before that, we did the interview that we recorded back in January with uh Ryan Abraham uh from uscfootball.com. The week before that, it was you and our pal Trent Goodrich. So you and I have not been on an episode in like a month.
2: Feeling kind of rusty, not going to lie. A little bit. Like we sat down to record and I was just like, man, like I don't have my checks in order. Like I I don't have my sort of podcasting mojo in, in flow. It's been the off season, the podcasting off season uh, a bit for us there in, in the month of February. But if we were going to do it at any time, February is probably the time to do it. Even though USC's had a bunch of stuff <laughs> That we haven't
1: been able to cover so maybe I'm lying there. A little bit, but if you're a Patreon subscriber, you've still been getting content with the snap takes that you've been putting up, talking about the latest uh, coaching hires that USC has put together. We're going to talk about so much more in this episode, but patreon.com slash ran you so get all the bonus content.
2: Yeah, we've had uh, snap takes covering each of the new assistant coaches, and I did an interview with a, an analytics guy Ah, uh, they were going to have that on on Patreon um, later this week. And also, I've got a bunch of other interviews ah uh, teed up and and ready to go um talking a little bit more in depth about the assistant coaches, ah uh, their backgrounds, and what sort of to expect from them from people who would know, i e the people who covered the teams that uh, that they previously worked for. So, Uh, On top of that, spring camp's coming up, so we're going to have spring spring camp previews. Got to get used to saying that because, again, we're rusty over here. Spring camp previews will be coming up, so we'll do positional uh, previews on uh, covering each unit and who's coming back, who they lose, what to expect from from camp and the big battles that that are going to be coming up. So Patreon is going to be rocking over the next month and so because once spring camp hits, then it'll be practice car casts and everything like that. So just keep on rolling.
1: Exactly. Patreon.com slash Red of Troy is where you can get all the bonus content for as little as $5.55 a month. If you don't want bonus content, you just want to support the show. Uh, 333 will give you ad-free full episodes like this one, so you don't have to listen to all of the ads that we take, as in the ad that we're about to take right now for a commercial break before we get into the news. So we'll be right back, get into the news, and then we'll get this show on the road. When we last spoke, USC had a 2021 schedule that was complete and it included an FCS opponent, the UC Davis Aggies. That is no longer the case. USC Athletic Director Mike Bone announced last week over at usdfootball.com and the Peristyle Podcast that he was canceling the FCS game with the Aggies. He has since replaced them with San Jose State for 20. Twenty-one. The Trojans, an interesting little, you know, roundabout way that this goes down. Uh, USC ends up paying UC Davis seven hundred twenty-five thousand dollars to cancel, uh, and San Jose State got paid one point one million dollars to pay to play in twenty twenty-one, according to Antonio Morales of the Athletic. Uh, that essentially means that USC is paying one point eight two five million dollars for the season opener. In 2021, and put it all together, which is interesting because, for reference, Washington in 2021 is is paying Arkansas State $1.75 million. So only about $75,000 difference there for what the going rate of a 2021 game is. So SC, despite the, the circuitous routes, kind of got back to what the going rate for a game was in 2021. Anyways, it happens because San Jose State had just canceled a date in 2021 with Georgia. Georgia wanted to play Clemson in a neutral site game in Charlotte. So they had to pay San Jose State $1.8 million. San Jose State could then turn around and take less money from USC. This is, if you're a hockey fan, this happens all the time where a player gets bought out and then the Blackhawks sign them on some like super cheap deal and they end up winning a Stanley Cup. (coughs) Brad Richards. (laughs) <laughs> um, like, this happens all the time, right? So it's it's a savvy move from USC to go out and get San Jose State on the cheap to ultimately even up the money at the end of the day of what, what they should have paid all along. But uh, Mike Bones still le- leaves some money on the table. Uh, if they were to cancel by January 1st, it would have been only 500000 They would have had to pay uh, UC Davis instead of 725000 Uh So that could have been done a little bit better. But altogether... SC getting rid of the UC Davis game, that's what most fans care about. That's what fans have clamored for for the last year, and this is a good development for USC.
2: Yeah, and I fear that this episode might become the Mike Bone, you know, uh, praise show, which I don't want it to become, like, too fawning because I still think there is a lot of skepticism about some of the decisions that he's made. But, I mean, I look at this and I see a savvy move. And I see somebody who has clearly listened to the feedback that he's gotten from fans. And there's a lot of people out there who are trying to push this narrative that Mike Bone isn't listening to the fans. Mike Bone doesn't understand what the fans want or anything like that. Well, this is a case in point. Um, The people in USC's athletic department, Steve Lopes and and the like, who are now, who've now been ousted, uh, were the ones who drove up this idea of uh, insistence on the seven home games every year, and that meant playing someone like UC Davis and all this kind of stuff, and there was excuse after excuse, and they didn't seem to care that none of the fans and nobody wanted this. And at the time, I remember sort of feeling kind of resigned because there was a lot of talk of, well, USC should just cancel this and and make it all better or whatever, and I was looking at it going, like, when have they ever reverse field on something in a real way? Um, that wasn't sort of forced by an outside force, like they reverse field on the uh, Coliseum naming rights, but that had to get pushed by like a councilwoman and, and all this kind of stuff like a year
1: later, a year money. later.
2: Yeah. And they lost a lot of money for it. So like I I am looking at this from the perspective of this is showing some not just savviness in terms of the, the business side of it, because as you've laid out from a money perspective, USC made out in this. As far as canceling and then immediately rescheduling and, and having this basically fall into their lap. But they had to be willing to even open themselves up to this idea. Uh, to take advantage of San Jose Jose State's situation with, with Georgia and, and the Clemson game and, and all of the things that had to happen. But USC has chosen not to take advantage of a hell of a lot of things in the past. And I want to give credit where it's due when you look at something where you say, okay, did the fans want this? No. Can you make it happen while not breaking the bank and, and making a financially uh, uh, questionable decision? Well, those things come together and Mike Bone does it. He pulls the trigger. He gets it done. So quite frankly, I think this is a, a great sign for USC uh, in terms of are you tr- I'm trying to put together sort of the, the pro con list when it comes to Mike Bone's tenure so far. And this is a nice little thing to stick over on the on the pro side of things. Ah, uh, to to weigh out some of the you know more critical response that's come uh, to him since since he came in as AD, I appreciate it. it in very much so appreciate it because it it shows some sense.
1: Yeah, it shows an idea of how things work, right? Which I think is the the breath of fresh air that you know Mike Bone and his staff kind of bring to USC is they they know how things are supposed to to function, uh, and that's what outside you know, knowledge does when you're a USC football program, a USC athletic program, uh, athletic department that only hires from within and everyone just knows the USC way. Well, when the USC way isn't the right way, how do you get back on track? You get back on track by someone who just knows how other programs are supposed to work, know how the game works. Mike Bone, not the greatest athletic director in the world. No one's saying he is, but it's a breath of fresh air to have someone who knows how the AD job is supposed to go. Um, and yeah, this is a huge mark on the pro list. And I think that if if you put the, the pros and cons list, it's like pros, uh, you know, getting rid of the FCS game, investing in, in in the program in terms of the support staff, adding graphic designers, adding um, a- additional spots for recruiters and all that kind of stuff. All the support staff roles that, that we've seen, Uh, job applications for and job openings on USC's official website for all those kind of things that help support the program and investing in the program and giving the program an opportunity to succeed that they didn't have before. Bringing back the song girls, all the little things that you wanted them to do, they seem to be doing. Yes, the biggest con is bringing back Clay Helton. Uh, But if you're going to bring back Clay Helton, then you better have a plan for it. And I think there's signs of Mike Bone having some sort of a plan, th- does that make it right at the end of the day? Who knows? Probably not. I think no one e- is ever going to d- agree with that decision, but we did get a question from Cameron uh, in Frisco, Texas, who talked about Mike Bone and his interview on the Parasol podcast. Uh, let's get to it right now, and then we can talk more about that. Hey, Rainer Troy, it's Cameron from Frisco, Texas. I have a question about the Parastyle podcast interview that Ryan Abraham and Keebier had with athletic director Mike Bone, I would just like to know what your thoughts were on the questions that Ryan and Keeley gave to athletic director Mike Bone, as well as to athletic director Mike Bone's responses. What were your thoughts about it? What are your thoughts about his interview and the direction that you that you feel that he is doing going in with the USC program, with the football team, and with other sports as well? Um, just like your inside scoop, and love to hear your thoughts about it. Thanks. Fight out, beat the tide.
2: Thanks for the call, Cameron. Yeah, I, I would encourage everybody to go to uh, the Parastyle podcast and listen to that interview because I, I got a lot out of it. Um, my first thought, honestly, about it was that Mike Bone sounds like a politician. Um, I'd watched the, it, it came out the, the day after, I think, the Democratic, uh, the most recent Democratic debate. And I remember listening to it for, at first going like, man, Mike Bone would be at home on a debate stage for a, a presidential uh, candidates. So he's very much a politician. And in that sense, you have to listen to it in the way that you listen to a politician, which is to say, understand these are all talking points, understand that that uh, he's going to try and get himself out of it, answering the tough questions as much as possible. So there was a little bit of, of working uh, from him in, in that sense. And in that sense, I felt I felt for Ryan and Keeley, uh, because there's only so much you can ask when you have a a a. a Someone you're interviewing who is just giving you the talking points, there's there's only so much you can go with. Right. But reading between the lines and sort of listening to the areas where it felt like he got a little bit more passionate and a little bit more off the cuff. um, I thought it was actually really great. For one, I loved his response about uh, the question about recruiting, the comments that he made about recruiting and, and all of that. And how, you know, that kind of came to bite him in the butt because people saw it as dismissive of the fans and turned out that USC recruiting wasn't doing particularly well. It wasn't going to finish particularly well. But I really enjoyed his response because it was the kind of thing that part of me wants to say all the time when people get mad about what people in these situations say. It's almost like the, what do you expect me to say? Like, do you really think Clay Helton's going to come out and say that his team sucks because you want him to say that his team sucks. Like that's counterproductive for Clay Helton. Well, if you're Mike Bone, you're not going to sit up there and say, well, our recruiting class sucks. Sorry guys. These guys are all scrubs and we're not going to, you know, we're we're basically going to suck going forward because all these kids are the worst. Like what is Mike Bone going to say? Like what, like you really think he's going to go out? He's a PR man. Of course he's going to push the PR uh, stuff. And this is one thing that I, I keep trying to like express to people on Twitter. Like don't, don't be surprised when the rah rah guy is rah rah. Like, guess what? This is Mike Bone shtick. Like, don't act like it's some great crime that that Mike Bone is out there being an optimist. He has. It's his job to be an optimist. It's his job to sell the program. It's his job to convince people that everything is better than it is. Like, he's a salesman in in, in the end. So, um, understanding that he was a that he is a salesman in these situations, I actually really enjoyed. The moments where he was like, like, what did you guys think I was going to say? Like, I couldn't go out there and tell, like, the kids' families that they were all, like, bad or whatever. Right. Uh, I, so I really love that moment. And, uh, yeah, I just thought there were little things where I think the money line in the whole thing, you might, I don't know if you'll agree or disagree on this, but the money line in the whole thing was, you know, we're going out here and investing uh, between the AD and the coach. We're investing in a way that, that hasn't been before. It was something like that. And I think that, for one, was pushing the idea that he has come in and been serious about the investment, not just in terms of money, but in terms of attention, in terms of uh, decision making and all that kind of stuff. But also the acknowledgement that USC's head coach, regardless of who that has been, has not had the kind of support that Mike Bone wants to give his head coach, whoever that is. And uh, our writer on uh, RaiderTroy.com, Trent Goodrich, Uh, wrote an article on on Monday that was sort of highlighting a lot of these things where he was talking about how having listened to Bone, you get the sense that he has a plan. And like you said, maybe that plan won't work out, but you get the sense that he has it. And that even if you disagree with the idea of keeping Clay Hilton, look at all these things that indicate that there is a roadmap towards building long-term success that'll go beyond Clay Hilton, beyond whoever the head coach is, because – Mike Bone is an AD who, if you're an AD and you get a job, you should expect to be the AD for the next 10 years.
1: Right. And SC never had to have a plan before. Yeah. Because the plan before was always, well, we'll always get five stars and we'll always do this and we'll always do that. And mind you, they should still absolutely get those things. Those things, it's uncomfortable if those things stopped. But that doesn't mean that you just rely on your talent all the time because that's what you've seen SC do all decade, right? It was... When they won and died on their talent carrying them or not, right? And we saw this not on not just under Clay Helton, we saw this under, under Sark and under Lane Kippen and, and Ed Ogeron, like so on and so forth throughout the entire decade to happen, right? Ever since since Pete Carroll. Heck, you can go all that the way back. That
2: last year of Pete Carroll was was another example let, of but, what happens when you mess up your staff hires let,
1: too. Let's be honest. Go all the way back until John Robinson left for the Rams. With the exception of those, you know, seven middle seasons for Pete Carroll, this program has been living and dying on strictly their talent. They don't invest in the program. They don't invest in support staff. uh, They just rely on local talent and all this kind of stuff. And all that stuff should be USC's for the taking. But how do you become a truly elite program that's going to compete with Clemson and Alabama and Ohio State? the programs that seem like they're here for the future forever now, you do the little things and the big things, right? You do everything. And SC hasn't been able to do everything. And that's why they haven't been stable uh, in in the way of, you know, being able to win 10 and more games on a consistent yearly basis. And so I think that if my biggest takeaway is, yeah, there was on, on uh, on this podcast, there were so many... In the interview, there's so many talking points, and I think a lot of it is, yeah, he's a politician. He's saying what he has to say, and I've always said, you need to judge Mike Bone by his actions, not by his words, because you can listen to what he says and get completely fired up and be like, yes, this is the thing, and blah, blah, blah. We saw that in his introductory press conference. So many people canonizing him in his introductory press conference, (laughs) and I kept saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on. Judge him by his actions, because if he doesn't bring back... I mean, if he doesn't fire Clay Helton, everyone's going to turn on him. Well, he brought back well, Clay Helton, and everyone did turn on him. We
2: still have people on Twitter saying, Mike Bone was hired to fire Clay Helton, and I sit back and go like, well, obviously not. Well,
1: <laughs> I mean, to, to be fair, I was one of the, the people who who was on that narrative, that idea, yeah. because my thought was, you bring in someone to establish their reign, Right. And I assumed that their reign would start with making a big move at the beginning. Um, I think Mike Bone looks at the situation and he talked about it. And The money line for me is that he's talking about building for the long term. And I think this is where the disconnect is. All the investment in the program in 2020, cool, great. But things like support staff is not for 2020. It's for 2020, 2021. 2022, 2023, and so forth and all this stuff. You add those spots on your payroll, and that's a long-term plan, regardless if it's Clay Helton or not. And so I think when people look at this and think, well, he's putting all of his eggs behind Clay Helton's basket. No, it's not about Clay Helton. It's about the head coach as a figurehead, as a person. And that's what USC hasn't done before. They haven't supported their head coach. They haven't done, you know... One but the- they, they haven't
2: supported their support staff either. I yeah, mean, exactly. Alex Rios and, and who are the other guys? Um, uh, Ziskin and all these guys. This time last year, we were seeing uh, articles, interviews with them saying, they were burnt out. I left because I was burnt out because sure. I was doing the job of three people. Well, guess what? By bringing in more recruiting staff, you're going to make sure that Gavin Morris doesn't burn out. You're going to make sure that the guys that you currently have in place aren't going to burn out and they're going to be able to sustain themselves for a lot longer to keep your recruiting apparatus going uh, strong instead of living and dying. Like where would USC be if they didn't have Gavin Morris? Like m- my fear of this whole past year was Gavin Morris is going to burn out and just leave and where's USC going to have nothing to their name. Well, making sure that these that the support staff stay healthy, because that's one thing you fire Clay Helton this next year and you bring in a new head coach the likelihood is all your support staff guys that were in there they're probably not changing the new head coach can bring in new staff and all that kind of stuff you you're probably not going to clean house on your recruiting staff if you if you bring in a new a new head coach so there's like a lot of people who think that uh you you're hiring Todd Orlando and these assistants in order to stock the staff for the next head coach wait, wait, wait. that's not how it works you know who's stalking the staff for the next head coach? The, the head coach. Yes. But you know you know where you are stalking the cupboard for, for the next head coach that he doesn't then have to worry about? It's the support staff. You're recruiting guys.
1: Yes. Yeah. And to me, it's less about the individual people. It's about the roles. And it's about the jobs. It's about the org chart, you know? It's about the place on the org chart. Like, you're adding those positions. If a new coach comes in and changes the names... Then so be it. But the point is that those those jobs exist now that they didn't before, and that's what's encouraging about Mike Bone. And to me, that's an action. Uh, the things that we need to be judging Mike Bone on is taking the risk to bring back Clay uh, Clayton. Yeah. Uh, you know, not canceling UC Davis quick enough to save two hundred twenty five thousand dollars. Maybe that maybe there's a reason for that. It's not our money, so what the hell do we care, right? Like. But it's still, it's, that could have been better, right? The, the, the wherewithal to cancel that game, the wherewithal to go out and get San Jose State on the cheap, the investment in the program, the, the adding of these support staffs, the getting back the song girl, all these little itty bitty things. You know, he was asked about Reggie Bush and gave a vague answer there and said that they're listening to fans and whatnot. That vague, okay, just real, real quick. That
2: vague answer read to you like we just can't say yes he's coming back yet but yes he's coming back
1: yeah but but again i like, mean i'm reading
2: into that I but like you're reading into it a little bit. that vague answer to me was definitely a wait a moment i'll answer that question when i can answer that question
1: i just maintain judge mike bone on his actions yeah when something happens there judge accordingly yeah Judge him on his actions. But judge the actions themselves. They don't all have
2: to be put under the – through the scope of he kept Clay Helton. Because that's what I see a lot of people doing is, well, it doesn't matter that he did this, that, or the other thing. He kept Clay Helton. Well, uh, okay, yes, but we we set that to the side. We put that in the con pile. Now let's It's a huge con. It's a big con, but you are still like I don't think FCS and Clay Helton have anything to do with each other. <laughs> like no. like so I'm going to judge the FCS thing. I'm going to judge uh the support staff thing Re- if if He had fired Clay Hilton and brought in a new head coach. I would have wanted him to make all the same moves that he's made since. And he's done them right, so give him that credit. Which
1: is why I keep saying that this stuff is independent of Clay Hilton. Yes. Clay Hilton is just the guy who currently holds that job right now. But like... It could absolutely change. if
2: If he had fired Clay Hilton and then kept the status quo and everything else with the program, but had a new head coach, I think he would... And maybe this will be inflammatory he's doing a better job now under this scenario than he would in that scenario.
1: Yeah. In my opinion. He would, yeah, because there would be no change in that sense. That's when he actually is, you know, Lin Swan. And and the interesting thing is I've seen comments, like there was an article on Tuesday, uh, Antonio Morales of The Athletic interviewed uh, Mike Bone. Similar thing, same talking points as the Parasol podcast interview for the most part. And there's comments of like, He's so out of touch and all this stuff. And it's like, I understand that that's coming from a place of, but he didn't fire Clay Helton. And so therefore I hate him bar none. And I understand that sentiment. I completely get it. Like I said, judge him on his actions. At the same point, I don't know how you listen to Mike Bone and how you listen to to Lynn Swan and think they are the same. Like they are decidedly different. If nothing else... Mike Bone pretends to care. Yes. If nothing else. Which, frankly,
2: but, but for, his actions, for, for someone in his position, at the least you should pretend to care. That right. was the wrong with Lin Swan. Is that, like, if you're not going to be doing a great job and you're also Pick not going to pretend to care, then... Tell me I'm attractive.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Tell me I'm cute. Like, Lynn like Swan, like, just nothing. Yeah. Nothing. So... Yeah, Mike Mike Bone seemingly cares. I think that's a good thing for USC, not only in the, the the talking points, but in the little actions and the little investment things. He's he's bringing home the necklace. He's bringing home some flowers. He's he still hasn't gotten over the 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 big problem. He's still Mister Struggle because Clay Helton's still there. <laughs>
2: but <laughs> you got to stay away from Mister Struggle. Mike. I know,
1: I know, but you know. Uh, Anyway, so much more to get to on this episode. Uh, More little news and nuggets, and we got a big mailbag, so we're going to take a quick break and come back and uh, tackle that. We'll be right back. We're back here on Minituary Radio talking about the news. Let's talk about USC adding a new quarterback this month, quarterback Mo Hassan, a grad transfer walk-on from Vanderbilt, which leads to a Twitter question we got from Lee Walker. Quote, any info on Mo Hassan? I know he's not going to play. I'm just curious.
2: Yeah, Hassan is an interesting addition for USC. The biggest thing is that he's a walk-on, so he's not going to impact USC's scholarship situation. So we can sort of look at the upside of him a little bit more than any cost because he's not costing USC any of those valuable scholarships. Uh, He really only had one game of note at Vanderbilt. Uh, He had served as a a, a backup, essentially, uh, before this past season, but... This past season, he he was pretty much third string the whole way until, um, the head coach of Vanderbilt, Derek Mason, was kind of looking for a different kind of spark, for Vandy ahead of their their matchup with Missouri. Um, Missouri was ranked in the top twenty five, and they were a twenty one point favorite over Vanderbilt, and uh, they were just sort of trying to to rev things up a little bit. And uh, I have a, this quote from um, from Derek Mason, who said that uh, Hassan brought a different type of energy. You just saw him competing, dropping dimes, and just getting after dudes and talking a little trash. That's what creates chemistry. It creates energy during practice. And that was really the word coming out of, of Vanderbilt after this game that they played against Mizzou, which they pulled off an upset. It was a 21-14 upset uh, over Missouri as a 21-point as a underdog. And a lot of the credit was given to Hassan. Even though he played only the better part of three quarters, uh, he completed seven of 11 passes for 120 yards, and a touchdown, it had nine carries for 39 yards. And like the stat line doesn't look particularly great, but there was um, an article from the, um, what was it called? The the Vanderbilt Hustler um, that talked about the Hassan effect, where they were really crediting him with just sparking the offense, just from an energy perspective. Uh, and he got knocked out of the, that game because of a targeting hit that gave him a concussion and essentially kept him off the field for the remainder of the season Um, because by the time he got back healthy, they had already reestablished the other two guys who were in front of him. Um, But at the very least, you sort of look at the story behind him in that one game, and you see a guy who brings the right attitude and I think the right energy, particularly my, my favorite thing about this article, is talking about just like the way that he impacted practice. And if you're looking at USC, you need a quarterback just to fill in. You get him as a walk-on, and you're adding a a body and a presence to practice. He sounds like a perfect fit, as far as the kind of attitude that that, that you want. Um, I don't know what his ultimate uh, aspirations are. He's going to come to USC knowing that Keaton Slovis and JT Daniels are well ahead of him. That Matt Fink is well established in the program already. But you know, it, it wouldn't surprise me if a quarterback like Mohassan is coming in and looking at, well, I can learn from Graham Harrell. I can I can. Get my USC uh, USC education uh, as a as a graduate in a graduate program and uh, and go from there. So it makes a lot of sense for him. It makes a ton of sense for USC, and there's really nothing to complain about because he's he's a walk on.
1: Yeah, I like the move um, because you have to be concerned about the the doomsday scenario that JT Daniels transfers and Matt Fink decides to transfer. And suddenly you've got no quarterbacks behind Keaton Slovis. So as it stands right now, we expect all three of those quarterbacks to be there in the fall. But it's possible that it's two.
2: Maybe it's one.
1: Right? And so, we've seen the injury record of all of them. It's not great. And and so you need to be prepared for, A, having low numbers, but B, having low low numbers and actually having to put somebody in there. And so Moha San kind of checks two boxes. He helps you add another body but he's also not costing you that that scholarship, um, which is going to help things out going forward. So that way they can still go to the transfer portal and add an offensive lineman if they want to. Um, it, it allows a little bit more roster flexibility that way. Uh, if Matt Fink ends up transferring or JT Daniels ends up transferring, maybe you give them his scholarship uh, or you may give him one of their scholarships or whatever, but that's a different story for a different day. Um, bottom line is... He sounds like he's Vanderbilt's Matt Fink, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's essentially what he did in that Came one in game. Came in and beat a ring team. Yeah. Yeah, and it was all about energy and can-do spirit and attitude and all of that kind of stuff, which is, I think the Matt Fink comparison is, is very
1: apt. Yeah, for sure. Uh, speaking of practice, you mentioned practice. Uh, let's talk about USC in spring practice. We know that it will begin on March 10th. Three dates, the 10th, the 12th, and the 14th. Then they take a week off for spring break and come back for four more weeks. The spring showcase is on April 11th, but camp won't close until April 18th. They're doing that thing again, where the uh, the the showcase or the spring game, whatever you want to call it. That's definitely not a spring game. It's uh, so a week before they close up shop.
2: Yeah, I'm not not gonna lie. The spring showcase on the 11th is uh, not super ideal. That being Holy Saturday uh, for my Catholic family is uh, less than ideal, but, um, <laughs>
1: but I don't think USC is caring about about I mean, uh, Holy, holy Sat- Saturday. I feel like Holy Saturday is the least important day of that whole
2: week. I mean, it is unless you're like my family and you do like a Christian Seder uh, meal and all that kind of stuff and you do a family dinner and, and Holy Saturday is, is, is a thing. I never
1: so. knew that. Like I've never heard of Holy Saturday. <laughs> your mom well, was Holy your Saturday. Your mom was not a religion
2: teacher, Michael. <laughs> that's, that, that's, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, I don't think USC is uh, is <laughs> is giving any thought to that. Uh, so I don't don't really blame them. But uh, yeah, we'll see we'll see how this goes. Uh, March tenth is a is a gives us a couple weeks here now to get ready for spring camp, and it's gonna be an exciting time because a new DC means we need to figure out. A, how USC is going to line up, and and B, what's sort of the pecking order? What is Todd Orlando uh, looking at these guys? And we're going to get into this on, on Patreon and as we get closer to, to camp, but I'm most intrigued to see, well, where do they have Drake Jackson? Um, where do they line up um, Elijah Winston? And those guys who are sort of not certain about where their position is going to be, uh, That I'm going to be watching that most closely with the defense. So that'll be fun.
1: Yep, 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 yep. I think that there's so many million questions – that we can get into about spring camp, and we will in the next couple of weeks and finally start to get some answers. Uh, the Trojans are starting to get some buzz. We said that this was going to happen. We made the case on the podcast. We've made the case on HR.com, and we said, do not be surprised when this team gets some off-season hype once everyone starts writing their off-season pieces and realizing, hey, wait a minute, this team like brings back 17 starters, including arguably the best true freshman quarterback in the country, From last season, lo and behold, the off-season hype machine has begun. Uh, ESPN put out another rendition of the way-too-early top 25, and USC has crawled up to number 21. They are the top team in the Pac-12 in ESPN FPI rankings, as high as 13th. 13th!
2: Yeah, and Oregon is 14th, so USC is the number one team in the Pac-12. And I wanted to highlight these numbers, uh, you know, taking them with a with a grain of salt because they are sort of based on data points and you can't judge by the eye test or anything like that, uh, but just from a pure analytics statistical perspective, USC is way up there, way up there in, in, uh, in terms of the national rankings. And what I find interesting is that... You know, one of the things that stuck out to me on Mike Bones' uh, podcast appearance with the the Parasile podcast was, you know, he declined to set a win-loss sort of expectation for USC. He basically kept it vague and said that, uh, you know, the foundation of the expectations are to focus on the um, winning the Pac-12 and competing for national championships. Well, in terms of, like, should USC be able to compete for the Pac-12 this year, these numbers and all the numbers that we're going to continue to see – This offseason, regardless of the way that last season ended, regardless of the bad taste in everyone's mouth after the Holiday Bowl, these numbers show that USC should be in the range of competing for the Pac-12. They should be far and away the favorite in the Pac-12 South. Um, Just to run through some of these, USC is 13th, Oregon is 14th. The next tier in the Pac-12 involves Utah at 24, Stanford at 28, Washington at 29, and Cal at 30. So, you know, they're not even that close to where USC and, and Oregon are from a statistical vantage point. And you get into, you know, ASU is the darling of the South and the, the one that a lot of people are, are looking at to be really competitive this year. They rank 41st in these metrics. So when it comes down to it, on paper, again, we say this every year on paper, again, if USC lives up to its billing, if USC lives up to what the numbers tell us, then they should be right in there and around competing with Oregon. Uh, it's just about can this new staff put it together and and start to to hit more of those notes as far as living up to what we know that the USC is, should be capable of.
1: All right, Alicia. Now ask me one simple question. Ask me how much stock I put in the ESPN. FPI rankings <laughs> how much stock do you put zero.
2: in the FPI rankings
1: zero I don't care like so much of this stuff has to do with recruiting and yes I get it you know SC is so much talent obviously um still uh they've got so much talent on both sides of the ball that they should be you know up there with Oregon as, as the best team in the Pac-12 when you look at the talent and all that kind of stuff yeah of course, sure. But that's not everything. We've 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 seen that, you know, so many times for the last ten years. Talent is not everything. But and, it's and a
2: good place to start. That's what I'm saying. It's where the expectations. It's, should it's be where because the expectations. The talent. Yes, exactly. And that's and that's. But it,
1: but it doesn't doesn't win you anything unless you, unless well, it unless does. you
2: follow through. Well, right? and that's sort of what my point is. Every year, don't dumb down the expectations for this team. Don't start lowering them just because we've seen what can happen on, in terms of how things can go wrong. This team should still have great things expected of them. And, and on uh this week, I, I wrote an article looking at, you know, if Mike Bone won't set the expectations, then, you know, I, I set about doing it. And it really came down to three simple sort of rules that I don't think are unreasonable in any way, shape, or form. Uh, the first rule was don't get embarrassed. Not by Alabama, not by Oregon, not by Notre Dame. By no one. Don't get embarrassed. Be competitive is is basically what that's looking at. Number two is make the Coliseum a fortress, so win your home games. Uh, there are some tough home games there against ASU, Washington, and, and Notre Dame, but those are not insurmountable home games. And then the third simple point was win well. You know, when when you have lesser teams like New Mexico and FPI is ranked 124th out of 130. So go in against New Mexico and smack them around and be able to put your backups in, be able to take your starters out of the lineup, be able to protect your players and their bodies and get your young guys experience and all those kinds of things. Those three things are not asking a lot of any coaching staff. They're not asking a lot of any team. And if you use that standard, I look at and say, yeah, USC should be nine and three this year. Yeah, USC should be in contention for the the Pac-12. And I think as realists, we can look at things and say, oh, well, we've seen Clay Helton underperform in the past, and that is certainly true. But that doesn't mean that we need to look at, go into this season thinking, well, you know, just because 8-4 and was last year, that's what USC is going to do again this year. Well, that might be what USC does again this year, but it shouldn't be what they should do this year. The standard needs to remain high.
1: Yeah, you keep the standard high. This is where we've talked about before, standards versus expectations. Uh, to me, I think the word expectations gets used in a couple of different ways. My expectations have not lowered for USC in how people use that word. I think the standard absolutely needs to be high because the talent's there and the, the resources are starting to be there. Of the You need to win a lot of games, obviously. Yeah. This is USC and all that kind of stuff, right? 100%. You need to win the conference. You need to win the division. All that. 100%. What I am expecting out of USC in terms of, like, what I would hold my breath for is not that. Well, okay, so here's my question. Do you think that— and, 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 Again, I'm, I'm not saying—I'm just no, to clarify, am- just in case people don't understand what I'm saying. Right. I'm not saying that it's okay to not reach that. Right. I'm saying I'm not going to hold my breath and die over it. But, like, for instance,
2: in, SM- in SP plus preseason rankings, USC is, is 15th. So let's say USC finishes the season ranked 14th. We'll split the difference. Is that USC overachieving?
1: No, because USC has so much talent on this team. Still, even despite the last recruiting class that wasn't up to par, and this is a head coach who's won a Rose Bowl, who's won a Pac-12. These are where that—that's where the team should be. Right. That's They're like being ranked in the top 15. It in, should be a yearly occurrence. That it, that shouldn't be.
2: In and around the top 15. Yeah. Is, the is, only way that
1: they overachieve is if they go to the playoffs and like right. win a game.
2: Well, so my, my point just comes back to if I'm Mike Bone or if I'm sitting here trying to convince Mike Bone of how he's supposed to look at this scenario coming up in, in evaluating the coming season, I don't think it's unreasonable to say that USC should finish the year where they started it, i.e. in the 15s. In the in the, in the mid teens, uh, that should be where USC is in and around. And too often in the past, USC has finished in the twenties or outside of the top twenty-five. So that that's all I'm saying. Like I don't think FPI is that off base by putting USC at thirteen. That's where USC should be in a year-in-year-out basis. The fact that they haven't been up there is an indictment on the performance of the of the team.
1: No, I agree. I mean, in general, absolutely, one hundred percent thousand percent. You're right. The FBI is where USC should be. And it is an indictment on the coaching staff. I think the problem is when fans read headlines of articles and when people hear SC is ranked 13th, the the context is lost. The nuance is lost of what ranking is this? Why is that? Why are they ranking there? Well, the FBI takes into a thing into account like prestige and it takes into account recruiting rankings over the last X amount of years and all these kinds of stuff, which is the basis for what our program should be. So yeah, SC historically, uh, even in recent history should be as high as 13th for sure. I agree. That's where this program should be, but they are not there today. And I think that's where my gripe is today because I'm tired of talking about this team as a team that should be there and then they're not, and then we look like idiots with egg on our face when they're not there. So when they get there, I will talk about them being deservedly there. They just need to prove it. So that's where I am.
2: Yeah, I mean I M- get I'm that. Not gonna hold my breath. I get that. I'm not I'm not holding my breath at all. I'm just I just wanna keep the standard high. Yeah, the that's standard it. should
1: be high. Keep the uh blue flag flying high, high. and the S <laughs> C standard just as high. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, you yeah. do that. Mm-hmm. Anyways, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back, and Alicia, you're going to take over from the mailbag. Be your show. Take it
2: out. Indeed I am. All
1: right, we'll, we'll be right back, and we'll see
2: All right, I'm back. And as you can tell, I am going solo now. Uh, my co-host Michael is—he's uh, been dealing with it with his <laughs> with his cough and his throat, and uh, gonna have to come out in the third quarter, much like Mohassan had to come out in the third quarter. Although thankfully no one targeted uh, Michael, he's just dealing with this uh with this issue. So we'll get him healthy, we'll get him going, and and he'll be back hopefully uh ready to record a marathon podcast next week. But for now, I'm gonna finish out uh, this episode with the mailbag. So. We got a tweet from King Camby, uh, who says, uh, new defensive coach coaching staff coming in for the Trojans. Does this translate into a better turnover ratio in the 2020 season? Um, it it sh- You sure hope it does. You sure hope it does. Uh, USC's turnover margin for the past couple of years has been pretty bad. Uh, part of that is because of all the interceptions that, that USC's quarterbacks have thrown. Uh, JT Daniels in 2018 was pretty high up in the, the interceptions and then... Collectively, Daniel Slovis and Fink uh, were well. Fink and Slovis certainly were interception machines at times. Um, so, from a margin perspective, you certainly hope that USC is able to lower that number down. And I, you know, this past year they were bottom in the pack in the Pac-12 in terms of turnover margin. But uh, from a defensive perspective, they still do need to generate more turnovers. Uh, than they than they generally have gotten over the past couple of years. Um, they uh, had, you know, it was like 10 turnovers in 2018 and like 15 turnovers in 2019. That's just not good enough. Uh, that's not good enough. And you look at uh, Todd Orlando's numbers at, at Texas, and the numbers look certainly better in terms of the turnovers. Uh, at Texas in 2019, they had 19 turnovers in 2018, they had 20 turnovers in 2017, which was uh, the the best season that Todd Orlando had at Texas. They had 26 turnovers, and that was like second in the in the in the Big 12. So um, those kind of turnover numbers are more what you're looking for from USC. Are you guaranteed to see those? Uh, I don't know. Maybe not. Uh, but certainly you want to see them get up closer to 20 turnovers. And if you do that, uh, plus lower your turnover rate on the other side of the ball, then you're going to see a big, big change in terms of the way that you're performing from game to game. Uh, But Todd Orlando's defenses have certainly produced more turnovers than USC has produced over the last couple of years. So maybe that's just the difference. Maybe it's where he puts his guys. Maybe it unlocks Talano Hofanga to go out there and get a bunch of of, uh, interceptions or fumbles. Uh, Maybe you have Pala Teote or Drake Jackson or other Havoc guys on USC's defense come to life uh, in this uh, in this new defensive scheme. And hopefully that is, is what results in, uh, in generally better numbers on that score. But turnovers are weird. Um, you really want to build a culture around turnovers, but they're a little bit unpredictable at the same time. So it's hard to say uh, how much uh, of an improvement you can expect from USC in this coming season, but there should be improvement because they were just frankly not good enough in the past two seasons. Um, we got a tweet from Daniel Mercado who says, does Reggie Bush get brought back next month to keep the good momentum rolling or do you wait until the first home game of the season? Uh, Daniel, I do neither. I do neither. Um, USC sanctions were levied against the Trojans on June 10th of 2010. And so I would expect to see Reggie Bush, uh, his disassociation end on June 11th, 2020. Uh, so June 11th or June 10th, whichever one uh, works out to be. Uh, the interim, uh, the interim AD for USC, Dave Roberts, over the over this past fall, mentioned that it was a ten year disassociation for Reggie Bush. Now, I don't know if that's uh, unofficial, official, the expectation, whichever one it is. Um, if we follow that metric, if we follow that sort of assumption, then yeah, look look for the June time of year to to be the time that that comes through, um, not any earlier. And I would wager that uh, you you're not served by waiting longer than that either. Um, if, if you're going to reassociate Reggie Bush, then do it well before the first game. Do it in June. Um, maybe have him be the one to run out of the tunnel uh, on that uh, that New Mexico game um, or any of the other games that follow. That would be super cool uh, to see Reggie be able to do that. But uh, I don't know, his schedule with Fox might prohibit that. Uh, it's, it's hard to say. Either way, uh, I, I think that it's a situation where uh, you can't do it yet. You got to wait till June. And if it's going to happen, just do it as soon as it happens in June. Don't wait around. Um, we also got a tweet from Diego Perez. He says, should the Trojans go for someone like Chris Murray from UCLA? He may not be eligible to play this year, but he should be a solid piece for the offensive line in 2021. And I agree with that statement that uh, Chris Murray, who was a four-star guy out of modern a couple of years ago, who is transferring from uh, UCLA, He would be a huge addition to USC's offensive line, but it's tricky with the numbers as as they currently are set up for USC to pursue someone like Chris Murray, who will be taking a scholarship spot um, when they don't really have a lot of scholarship spots to work with. Uh, Maybe that changes in spring camp before, during, after spring camp. If players decide to transfer from USC and open up a couple more spots, maybe that's the way it goes. Uh, we know that USC has a scholarship offer out to the Akron offensive tackle who's in the transfer portal. So they are looking for offensive linemen, but there's a big difference between getting a, a grad transfer and somebody who's going to have to sit. Uh, so I think you take the chance on Chris Murray in terms of ability for sure, and and you don't have great depth uh, on your on your offensive line, so that it, it would make a lot of sense to take that chance. But I don't know how fervently USC can pursue him uh, when they are, Aren't certain about what their numbers, uh, the scholarship numbers, will look like. Uh, but uh, if he wants to stay in Los Angeles, I mean, that would be a pretty good swap to, to go to UC, to go to USC. So, um, stranger things have happened, that's for sure. Uh, we got a, an email from Yonatan who says, "Hey guys, love the show. Should Keaton be the number one on top returning players in the Pac-12?" Best Yonatan. Um, that's an interesting question because I I think if if I was looking at Pac-12 quarterbacks returning I think it's a very safe bet to say that Keaton Slovis would be the top quarterback returning um, Washington State loses Anthony Gordon Oregon loses Justin Herbert um, uh, Jacob Eason from Washington is gone uh, Keja Costello from Stanford is gone um, Khalil Tate from Arizona is gone Tyler Huntley from Utah is gone Steven Montez from Colorado is gone so you know, there's a there's a lot of guys who are leaving, and and really, if you're looking at Keaton Slovis, uh, DTR at UCLA, Jaden Daniels at uh, at Arizona, Keaton is is the top guy there, and and some Devils will make their case for Jaden Daniels, but it's actually not really that close. Um, Keaton was uh, far and away the best uh, the best freshman quarterback in the in the conference, and is pretty far and away the best returning quarterback in the conference uh, for 2020. Is he the best player in the conference uh, for 2020? I mean, uh eh, Sewell of, of of Oregon might be uh might have something to say about that. Uh you know, they're they're even on USC's own team, Talano Hifanga, uh would if we're talking offense defense, Talano Hafanga could certainly make the case for being a top returning player. Um you know, th- there's there's just too many good players out there to say for certain that like Keaton Slovis would be the top one. I, I just pulled up uh, the uh, Pro Football Focus top ten returning players in the Pac-12, and yeah, they have uh, Pene Sewell at number one, who's the the guard from uh, from Oregon. They also have uh, cornerback Javon Holland from Oregon, uh, cornerback Elijah Molden uh, for Washington. Um, cornerback Michael Wright from Oregon, Trent McDuffie for Washington, um, and then Keaton Slovis at number six. So, uh, you know, the numbers the numbers can only tell you so much because these are Pro Football Focus's numbers. But uh, th- there are some you sort of can forget if you get tunnel visioned with USC that there are a lot of really good players out there in the Pac-12. Um, but I, I certainly think that Keaton Slovis deserves to be mentioned up there. Uh, absolutely among quarterbacks, certainly among offensive returning players, and certainly among returning players on both sides of the ball. So uh, he is—he really is a, a stud coming back, and, and um, USC can only hope that his sophomore season builds on what he was able to do as a freshman and really pay all that off. Um, okay, we got a Slack message from top Trojan fan who said, now that John Baxter is gone, does Ben Griffiths get unleashed next year? Uh, I think so. <laughs> I certainly hope so. uh, the thing I love about the special teams hire of Sean Snyder is that he was an all American punter. His punters at k State were all quite good uh and uh and I think that there is a chance that he will let Ben Griffiths let loose a little bit more and go for broke a little bit more instead of always being about placement and hang time and and all of those things. So um, I think that we'll see even just from a from a basic perspective of Ben Griffiths has now had a season in college, getting used to kicking in a stadium, under the lights, all of this kind of stuff, playing football for the first time in his life, um, being a year of experience in that will help him for sure. And then also being able to be uh, tutored by someone like Sean Snyder should definitely benefit him as well. So I expect uh, improvement for sure from Ben Griffiths in uh, in 2020. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to see what he can produce as a, as a tight end for USC. Uh, we also got a Slack message from Samuel in South Carolina. He said, what do you think the le- who do you think the leading tackler for USC will be in 2020? And that is actually a really tough question, Sam. Uh, mostly because it could go a lot of different ways. Uh, from an ideal perspective, I think you look at it and you say that uh, if Palahina Teote is USC's leading tackler, then that'll mean a lot. That'll be a very, very good sign. It could just as easily be uh, someone like Jordan Iasefa. It could be someone like Solomon Tulia It could be someone out of left field like Raylan Goforth or Kanai Mauga, depending on who wins uh, a starting job, a, a linebacker for USC. And we don't know entirely where everyone's going to line up in this new defense, so part of that will be we'll know a little bit more once spring camp comes around. But um, in a perfect world, you'd have one of those linebackers being your leading tackler. Um, the other option that I think is very possible is the idea that uh, Talano Hafanga could be your leading tackler. Um, but I'm a little bit wary of that. For one, Hafanga has a bad injury record, so I don't know that I trust him to play all 12 regular season games for USC. So that's one thing that uh, gives me pause. And the other thing, too, is you don't necessarily want your safety to be your leading tackler. Um, it, you know, this is not 100% all the time uh, follow through, but generally if your safety is your leading tackler, then your defense is not very good. Um, safeties tend to make their tackles further down the field, and so uh, if, you know, your, your safety valve, literally called the safety, is making tackles, then the guys in front of him aren't making tackles. And that's that's not necessarily a good thing. Now, Todd Orlando's defense does put a lot of onus on the safety to come up and make plays. So in theory, you could see a, a situation where USC has a good defense and is led by Talano Hafanga, But you'd rather sort of see it the way that Texas has had it over the last few years where they have their leading linebacker and then the second guy, on the tackle chart is the safety and uh and that's the sort of how I will predict it to go um I think it'll be whoever the starting linebacker is the main linebacker so for now even though I think he has a lot of growing to do uh, as a player is Polynesian uh, cuz he's just he he's too talented to continue to be what he was in in 2019 um and then Talanofanga at a close second and um you know you hope that a lot of those tackles are playmaking tackles and not safety kind of tackles from, uh, from Talon of Funga. Uh, okay. Finally, we got a Slack message from SJ in Santa Barbara. They say, let's say Rot was hired to run the PR for coach Helton and the USC football program. What would be your strategy to change the poor optics surrounding the program? Um, the first thing I'd say is that you need to understand that you're not going to fix the optics, no matter what you do, as far as PR perspective is concerned. Um, USC will change the optics around Helton and USC's uh, football program when they start winning games, when they start winning Pac-12 titles, when they start winning national titles. So first and foremost, you sort of have to go in understanding that you can only do so much from a PR perspective, but there are little things that you could certainly do. Uh, one little thing that I would certainly, if I had that power to insist, I would insist to Clay Helton that they tackle in practice and that you open practices up to let everyone see it and then you highlight that every single day on Twitter with a video of people tackling other people Um, because you need to really counter this perception that USC is weak and that USC doesn't practice hard enough. Well, make your entire spring camp coverage all about how here's how we're tackling, here's how we're being physical, all this, that, and the other thing. Um, So sort of wall-to-wall blanket uh, coverage in that sense. Um, I I like the things that USC has done as far as bringing in more graphic designers, so I would take advantage of those guys um, by being active on social media, especially with with recruits and, and that sort of generation of, of person on Twitter and Instagram um, just to keep USC in the minds of those guys uh, even even if it doesn't really impact the sort of older fans on Twitter who it's not really their thing, at least you keep USC's recruiting on track. Um, so that is that is one thing. Um, and then the other thing I would say is just sort of keep letting Mike Bone be the cheerleader, um, keep letting Mike Bone come out and make the uh, PR case for the program, because I think he does a pretty good job, even though he's very political about it. him His sort of politicalness, I think, is useful because he doesn't put his foot in his mouth that often, and uh, he's able to come out and, and make a compelling argument in in his case. Now, he's not going to win everybody over because there are people who just can't be won over, but I think he's a better voice Uh, than Clay Helton is. And I think that's one of the other things too is, you know, the Trojans live where they're bringing on the assistant coaches. Uh, Those are good voices, you know, hearing, uh, hearing uh, uh, John David Baker speak, hearing um, Dante Williams speak, getting their perspective, getting the talking points from them, I think is very helpful for USC. I don't think it's helpful to have Clay Helton out there in front very often. Um, So I would continue to have him sort of sit in the background um from my perspective from the media perspective i would love to to hear as much as possible from from people but no good can come from from clay helton saying things that people are just going to rail against um when he does get out to speak if i were the pr person i would encourage him to be a little bit more forceful in, with his language um to take uh, be a little bit more critical um sort of change the way that he delivers his messaging um but there's only so much you can do there because you don't want him to be inauthentic and i think at this point like everyone will view whatever they view him as uh as in, as 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 inauthentic until usc is out there winning football games so there's not really a lot that clay helton can do but it would be helpful if uh, if the messaging around the program was just a little bit more savvy and you know focused on the things that people complain about you know the physicality the tackling all these things uh that that you're trying to fix the the i the idea of setting your own expectations high Um, So that it doesn't look like you're running away from those expectations. Um, And then also, I mean, I would sit down with Clay Helton and tell him everything you say will come through through the the lens of people hating you. So be careful about how you phrase things, because you can say something innocuous and people will take it the wrong way every time. So try not to give them those opportunities as much as possible. Um, But like I said, it's only going to do so much. It's not going to fix the problem. Not gonna fix fix the optics. It's only gonna be a bit of a band aid. So that's the that's the best that I could do, knowing that there's really not a lot to do except for for win some football games. So um, yeah, that's gonna do it for the mailbag. Thank you guys as always for sticking around and listening. Um, sorry, Michael couldn't finish the episode, but uh, you know we get through it. and We'll rally back uh, next week with uh, with another full episode. Um, as always, you know you guys know you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. You can find us uh, wherever you catch your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, um, TuneIn, Overcast, uh, Sh- Spreaker, um, all of the above. Uh, we're, we're all over the place. And if you listen and you like us and, and you want to help the show out, then uh, shoot us a review. Give us a five-star review. Say why you like us. Um, it helps grow the show immensely. It gives people reason to click on the show. Uh, it pulls it up into their feeds, it, it and it gives them a reason to take a chance on us. So um, we're always looking to grow the show and and we really need your help to do that. So uh, if you pop in a review, uh, we will read it on the show and give you all sorts of praise because we love you and we think you're awesome. Um, but uh, yeah, just uh, consider consider taking a, a moment of your time to do that and to to help us out with that. Uh, also, obviously, the other way you can support the show, aside from telling your friends and family about us and leaving a review is join the Patreon. So we're doing a lot of really fun stuff over on the Patreon If you want those in-depth unit previews ahead of spring camp we'll get you all set for that Uh, we get a lot of really good feedback about those every year the last two years we've done them so we're really excited to to throw those out there again this year Um, so give the patreon a try and if and if you don't want to commit the you know 555 a month for the bonus episodes but you want to throw us a little bit of something you know subscribe at the 333 range and uh, get ad-free episodes so you can avoid all of the ads that we had to put into our, uh, our uh, podcast to, you know, keep it running. So that's going to do it for me and, uh, and for Michael. Uh, thanks again. And I will catch you guys later. See you.
0: At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. Highland. For innovators everywhere, visit highland.com.